pastored young adults of a student body of, of distinction. And I want to encourage you today because I believe in the very depth of my heart that these moments, these years you're together, especially in the college education, that discipling, that mentoring that is going on, that these are probably the most profound, the most distinctive days of your lives. Now, I have no question about your growing up years and your environment and your family. All that has a major impact on your lifestyle. But men and women, there is something about this era of your life when your theology becomes your own. No longer is it sufficient what your dad or mom, what your step-parents or your pastor or some friend thinks about God, thinks about areas of key biblical truth or lifestyle issues. It suddenly is what do you believe in these particular areas. And friends, I believe that God designed us to be relational people. He designed us first and foremost to have a relationship with Him, God our Creator, through Jesus Christ. But second and vital, He designed us to have healthy, vibrant, fulfilling relationships with each other. Remember when they asked Jesus, what are the greatest of the commandments? He began with the love of the Lord your God, with your heart and your soul, your mind, your strength, your very being. He began on that vertical relationship. And then he said the second, which is just as important, is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said you can sum up all of the Old Testament, all of the law, into those two critical components of a lifestyle philosophy. I'd like to challenge you this morning to think about a, a possible ongoing study in your own life. Billy Graham, through one of his books, World of Flame, challenged me with this a number of years ago. Billy Graham reads five chapters every day in the book of Psalms. Because it says the book of Psalms tells us so much about what God has revealed to be true about Himself. So much in the Psalms about God's very nature character, what God tells us to be true about Himself. And then Billy Graham says he reads one chapter every day from the book of Proverbs, because Proverbs gives us that horizontal, that interpersonal understanding of how to get along with each other. What are the key, vibrant ingredients for healthy relationships? And men and women, we live in a society filled with dysfunctional relationships filled with issues of stress and people misunderstanding how to treat each other from a drive-by shooting to, to graffiti on somebody's wall to the kind of verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, ethnic abuse all throughout our society. And one chapter each day in Proverbs, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, gets Billy Graham through the book of Proverbs once every month. Five chapters every day in the book of Psalms gets into the book of Psalms every month. It's a monthly commitment to gain that ongoing insight about his relationship with God in that vertical area and the horizontal piece. There's a series of books that have come out by H. Jackson Brown. And one of them is entitled Live and Learn and Pass It On. I don't know if you've seen the volume. He has four different volumes. And let me have some fun with this for a moment because listen to what he says about passing on life experiences. See, that's much like the book of Proverbs. 
Remember, Solomon wrote the book to teach his people how to live. Wrote it for his family, for the nation. Now, Solomon was the major writer. We have a couple other people, Agur and Lemuel, and some called the wise. We're not sure if those are pseudonyms for Solomon or not, but he was at least the major writer. He was the compiler of the book. And in that book we call the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, as God inspired him, he wrote to pass on to another generation critical issues of life. Well, H. Jackson Brown, in a fun way, writes this in his introduction. Listen to this. On the morning of my 51st birthday, I thought it would be interesting and maybe even enlightening to jot down a few things more than half a century of living had taught me. I wrote, I've learned that 20 times on the left-hand side of a piece of paper. And then I proceeded to complete the sentence, I've learned that 20 issues I've learned in life. H. Jackson Brown writes, It was such an enjoyable exercise, I decided to add to it once each week. In a short time, I'd accumulated quite a list. I mentioned it to a friend at lunch, and the friend said he'd like to try it as well. Other friends and acquaintances joined the project. To broaden the age group, I enlisted the help of kindergarten kids, 7th and 8th graders, high school students, young married couples, and senior citizens. This book contains the combined wisdom and learning experiences of thousands of years of living. It's what we've been taught by our parents, spouses, children, pastors, teachers, friends, and even enemies. It's lessons learned from loving and winning and loving and losing. From the school of hard knocks, the old method of trial and error. H. Jackson Brown says, I was surprised and delighted that several people ended their list with this statement, I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. Now enjoy some of these with me, would you? One of them from somebody age 48. I've learned that when you remodel, everything costs twice as much and will take twice as long as you think it will. The next one, age five, I love this one. <laughs> I've learned that goldfish don't like jello. Now, I'm not going to ask how they learned that, all right? <laughs> and I won't ask for a raise of hands how many afford a package in your goldfish area. Age 64 is a very, very poignant one. I've learned that most of the things I worry about never happen. That's a great lesson. Then our six-year-old say again, I've learned that if you spread the peas out on your plate, it looks like you ate more. <laughs> I mean, for campus food at times, that's a great way, right? <laughs> Here's a powerful one. Someone aged 78, okay, just passing on down. I've learned that experiencing great sorrow either makes a person very compassionate or very bitter. Maybe you've heard it. I don't want to be cliché-ish with you because you're a very distinctive group. During times of crisis, we either get better or we get bitter. That person said it in a much better way, but that's the issue. Here's a fun one, age seven. I've learned that when I eat fish sticks, they help me swim faster because they're fish. <laughs> and then as you dealt some today, as Dave was courageous enough to talk about issues, I've learned that disagreements 
with loved ones are inevitable. That's a powerful statement. Because somehow we think that in life, if we can just get a certain things together, we'll suddenly not have those kind of disagreements or difficulties or issues. You see, the challenge God gives to us is as we handle those bumps in the road, it's the process we go through to bring resolve. It's what we learn from those kind of situations that are most valuable to our Creator. And then one that really touches all of our lives, I think, in a powerful way, and I say this to you especially as young adults. I run it as easy to make decisions when you know what your values are. And that's who we are as Master's College. That sense of asking God, who is our Creator, what are your values to life? What is it that really allows us to have fulfillment and to reach our potential for which we were designed? That's the heartbeat of our God. He wants you to reach the potential of which He's naturally endowed you with your abilities. And He spiritually gifted you when you came to Jesus Christ. He wants you to be whole and healthy as individuals. But it starts with a relationship with Him. And then understanding what are the values as we deal with life. Here's a powerful one from someone age 60. I've learned that you should always leave loved ones with loving words. It could be the last time you see them. Men and women, I want to challenge us this morning to realize in a unique way that life and death are in the power of our words. Can I broaden it? Our communication. And friends, we are living in an era today when in all honesty, we are somehow accepting by behavior a lie. Maybe you grew up with it. Oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Friends, that's a lie. God says our words are powerful. Our words have the opportunity of bringing life health, healing to a relationship, or death, destruction, separation, dysfunctionality in relationships. And you have a choice by how you speak to each other, how you communicate with each other, by way of whether you're going to bring life or death to relationships. And friends, you may laugh at it sometimes as you see the sitcom, but if you've lived in a Roseanne Barr home, if you've lived in a married-with-children environment, if you've lived in a Joan Rickles heckling situation, it isn't funny. And there's some of you today who would say, I wish that somebody had, had hit me in a physical way, and I'm not supporting violence, all right? But sometimes you wish it was that than the way they hit you with some words or what they said to you. Let me read to you from one marriage book that has helped me a lot entitled The Passages of Marriage, listen to what they say. Many psychologists believe that negative, tearing down, derogatory messages are so powerful, so toxic, they can overpower positive messages by a ratio of four or five to one. One negative comment can shoot down the good effects of four or five positive ones. To keep things in balance between the negative and the positive, the positive must outnumber the negative comments by at least 
four to one. People somehow don't seem to talk or to, to realize that. And yet, what do you remember when someone evaluates your performance? All the plaudits or the one little negative thing that was said on the form? I mean, you can get back that term paper. You can have that project returned and great idea and valuable insights and thanks for what you did here. And then one little part on one paragraph, there's some concern and your eyes go immediately to that negative issue. And in some ways, you can almost forget the positive. We can finish a party. We can enjoy a particular event. And somebody reflects, oh, it was a great time. But, and that one little phrase can completely counteract four or five major areas of positive dimension. And what the psychologists tell us isn't true because they thought it up. It's true because our Creator says to us, life and death are in the power of our words. And friends, I stand before you as a lifelong learner. I stand before you as one who's had a major struggle with his speech. Got kicked out of high school chemistry class for being a smart mouth and saying different words and things going on. I think my Spanish teacher retired early because I harassed him in such a way from the back of the room. My mom and dad were back and forth into school over and over again because of my verbal impropriety. And so I'm a struggler. But I'm one who wants to say because I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord. Because I believe that God has created us. And through Jesus Christ we have a relationship with God. That God is the one who wants to show us the steps, the path, the way in which we're to walk to have fullness of life. And as I stand before you, I want to say to the very depth of my heart, I believe our communication, how we communicate with each other, is probably the most essential core of building strong relationships. See, Proverbs goes on and tells us in chapter 16 and verse 24 that pleasant words are a honeycomb. Now look at the next two phrases. And very directly within the Hebrew, as accurate as I can within the text, it says it's sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Friends, God is telling us that our words have a direct impact on a person's emotional and physical health. Our words have therapeutic power. Remember what it was like if you were studying all night long? I mean, you've been going for all night, and then all of a sudden the next day, some projects, and man, you were really tired, and you're walking down the campus, and all of a sudden somebody said, well, yeah, it's been a tough week, but you know, you really look pretty good having gone through it all. Well, you know, it just kind of makes you feel a little better. Remember the time you finally crashed after that long marathon? And you kind of, you know, hit the bed about 7 o'clock and gone through almost a marathon and up the next morning, first time you'd had over 8, 10 hours of sleep in a long time, and you were feeling good in the morning, and you passed somebody and said, boy, your eyes are really red. You don't look real good today. And a moment ago, you felt good. And because of that word, all of a sudden, you sort of slumped a little bit more and didn't feel quite so strong. You deal with the statistics of the people that tell you the difference of those who come to rest homes, convalescent homes deal with those who are ill within the hospital and how words can have a direct effect on the healing capabilities of the way God has created our very bodies. God says to us, our words have direct impact on a person's emotional and physical well-being. And that's why God goes on and tells us clearly in Proverbs 15, verse 28, that the wise person thinks before he or she speaks. See, Proverbs 12 and verse 18 says there's some people that like to make cutting remarks. 
And maybe you have that bent. Maybe that's sort of just natural to you. You've grown up in that environment. And God says there's some people who like to make cutting remarks. But the words of the wise soothe and heal. And see, friends, what I'm consistently caught up with as I read through Proverbs on a very regular basis in my own life is the ongoing contrast. And see, God says to us, you've got a choice of being considered a wise person or a fool. And I believe in synonymous ways that the choice of being considered mature or immature. Someone who's following hard after God and there's a passion for God or someone who sort of is just sort of saying, shine it on God, I'm going to do my own thing and you're okay, but I'm not really going to make you Lord of my life. So those are the contrasts that we see in Proverbs. The wise, the foolish, the mature, the immature, the prudent, the one who is without knowledge. And see, that isn't limited to age. That isn't limited just to experience. It's the idea of a person's heart saying, I want God's perspective to really be mine. So friends, I want to widen our thoughts today for just a few moments to realize that communication goes far beyond just our words. Now, I'm not a communication expert, but from the research that I've done, I think this chart might be helpful to you. Research tells us that how we communicate, only 7% of it is our verbal, our words. 38% of how we communicate is our tone. And 55% is our nonverbal, or sometimes we might call it body language. And see, if, if, if we're going to be the kind of people who are effective in our communication, if we're the kind of people who want to bring life to a dating relationship, health to a family circumstance, a sense of opportunity and respect and development in a vocational area, the kind of leadership you want within a local church setting. Communication is a key to that area, developing those strong relationships. And I want us to realize how important that is. That's why John Wooden, who I deeply respect as a coach, says kindness in words creates confidence. And friends, if I can say, and not in a pejorative way, but oftentimes in the sports arena of life, there is a lot of verbal harassment. Verbal intimidation. And one of the dynamics that I believe allowed Wooden to have such a sense of fulfillment and respect was that he took God's principle seriously in his life. And friends, Wooden's quote doesn't work because Wooden thought it up. It's because that's a part of God's pattern for our lives. And so for just a couple of moments, would you think beyond just the words for a moment, beyond just the 7% idea, to think with me about the tone of what we say. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me, first of all, as we think about the air of our tone and focus on that for a moment. Go with me, would you please, to Proverbs chapter 15, and look with me at verse 1. It's possible this morning that one of these Proverbs you need to jot down or put on a little card or possibly memorize to help you in an area of your own abuse or your own pattern that you know has really begun to cause you some difficulty relationships. I love that passage in the Psalms where it says, Your word have I memorized. Your word have I hid in my heart. What? That I might not sin against you, O Lord. 
It isn't that we won't be tempted, but the issue is as that temptation comes, as there's that propensity to speak in a wrong way or to communicate in an improper way, then God can bring one of these particular verses to give you a sense of reminder. No, these are God's values. This is the way to do it. You want health? You want healthy relationships? These are God's patterns. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Let me read from the New American Standard. It says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Would you look on down at verse 4 for a moment? Same chapter. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in the tongue crushes the spirit. My friends, you notice again, it isn't just the words that we say, but he gives to us in verse 1 that gentle answer. In verse two, or verse 4, the soothing tongue. Now, friends, the idea of a gentle answer or a soothing tongue is not something necessarily sing-songy or diminutive or kind of, well, hi, how are you, little big bird, you know, kind of a thing. And so you put in a little tone, a little tonal area. It's nothing effeminate. Didn't talk about something being passive. But the idea in the Hebrew of a soothing tongue, the concept of the gentle words, is a sense where there's respect of how you speak with each other. I mean, you know in a certain tone when somebody's putting you down. You know when they're patronizing you. You know by their tone when all of a sudden what they say doesn't really fit with what's going on. See, I, I think it's critical for us to realize that it's not just what you say, but it does make a major difference how you say it. I told you I love you. What more do you want to hear? Hey, the words are great. <laughs> But the tone belies the words. Now, would you help me with the phone? Yeah, I'll help you. I'll get to it Saturday. Told you I'd do it. What'd you say? Well, I just said I told you I'd do it. Oh, no, no. You said much more than the words. 38% men and women of how we communicate is the tone of how we say what we say. It does make a difference. And God tells us that in a very clear way. You, you, go, you go back home for break or you're whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, Dad and I, hey, will you take out the trash? Yeah. What'd you say? Oh, I, I just said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> no, no. You said, yeah. Your tone makes all the difference. And as you've gone through your junior high and your high school years, you have become masters at tonal intonation that sort of plays a dual idea on the words. And then you hide behind, well, that's all I said. God says the gentle answer, the soothing answer, there's a way in which you say things that makes a major difference in your life. Go to chapter 15 where we are. Look down at verse 26 for a moment. Look at Proverbs 15, 26. Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord. Now look at the next phrase. But pleasant words are there's a beautiful contrastive parallelism with the proverb. And what he's saying is those evil plans are an abomination, but pleasant words are pure. This is a living Bible. Great paraphrase here. The Lord hates the thoughts of the wicked, but He delights in kind words. Are there times that you end a day that you say, Lord, I, I really have wanted to please you today? 
Or what is it that I can do that would really bring pleasure to you as my God, as my Lord? Well, there's many, many dynamics. But one of them is when we use the right kind of speech with each other. And there's that sense of a care about our tone. Turn with me to chapter 16, would you please? Look at verse 24. We saw it on the screen earlier, but I want you to see it there in your text because I think it's that valuable. 16.24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. Now, will you stop there for a moment? Some of you are very strong in your nutritional and your dietary understanding. And if you even go back to the Old Testament, you look at the children of Israel within their nation, you'll realize that honey was a very critical substance in their diet. And if you've done much studies in those areas, you'll know that honey brings health. Honey helps ward off disease. Honey is even a preventative by way of a nutritional substance to our very body and our physical being. And so what he's saying to us is as good, healthy diet brings stability to one's physical ability, as honey is an important part of one's diet, so would you look on back with me, are sweet or pleasant words because they bring healing to the soul and the bones. See, friends, you have a choice in what you say to each other, either to bruise or to bandage, either to hurt or to heal a relationship. And God says our words are awesome in their power. Our words have awesome impact upon relationships. I came across a great page in a book I was reading entitled Orphans at Home, and it lists 50 phrases to encourage each other. Let me read several of them. One, you're so much fun to be around. Seven, you're so thoughtful. Twelve, can I put this on the bulletin board of the office so that my friends can see what you've done? Nineteen, I really enjoy being with you. Twenty-nine, you're going to make it. Thirty-seven, I love to hear you laugh. Forty-five, I believe in you. Fifty, I love you. Why is it so hard for us to tell each other how much we care about each other? Why do we have to couch it in sarcasm, a chop, a, you know, ragging on each other, put down, size okay, you know, you know, run the run through, yeah, not too bad, roll four eyes, or, you know, <laughs> I see her. See, we have a bent, we have a propensity towards put-down, sarcasm, divisiveness. Remember how Paul told us in, in Galatians, the flesh wars against the spirit, and the deeds of the flesh are, you remember, Immorality, sensuality, divisiveness, drunkenness, carousing, all the different things that begin to separate relationships. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There's a struggle. And God's Spirit wants to so move us to the power of the Word of God that as temptation comes to compromise in the area of our speech, suddenly we can remember that our words have awesome impact. Our words can bring life or death to a relationship. And God wants you as young adults to be able to see people drawn to you 
Friends, I would say to you probably 90% of the time, you introduce me to the life of the party. Always a joke. Always a cute story. Always a ha and a rah, move on, go. Not always, but probably 90% of the time, that's not the person people go to. But they want to share some of the core issues of life. And God says, I, I want your lifestyle to be healthy and your relationship strong. And so He reminds us that our words, hey, they're powerful, but in the wider sense of communication, our words are only 7% of how we communicate with each other. 38% is our tone. But I want to remind us this morning also that 55% of how we communicate is our body language. 55%. That's why I think it's said so often, you've heard it, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. Go with me to another passage, would you please? It talks about our body language. Go quickly to Proverbs chapter 6. Look at verses 12 through 14. Chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. And he captures several of the phrases. Verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked individual, is the one who walks, see that's lifestyle, with a false mouth. In other words, you say one thing, but you're given signals. something else. Look at the signals. So they walk with a false mouth. Why? Because they wink with their eyes. They signal with their feet. They point with their fingers. Who is this person? The one with perversity in his heart, devising evil continually, spreading strife. Look at verse 15. Therefore, calamity will come suddenly. Instantly, that person will be broken and there will be no healing. Friends, from Proverbs chapter 6, God reminds us that it's possible to say one thing and your body language communicates something in a very different way. I mean, it, it, it can be something as safe as you're sitting around with a group of people and you're on the phone and you're saying, oh, sure, that sounds really nice, you know, and you're giving certain signals and rolling your... Oh, yeah, I'm so glad you called. You know? You're saying one thing but your body language is completely overruling what you're saying. The roll of the eyes. Oh, yeah, sure, I got it. Mm -hmm. The tapping of the fingers. Oh, no, I'm not in a hurry. No. You said you weren't in a hurry, but your body language far overweights what took place. Somebody gave me a quote from the USA Today just earlier this year. Listen to this. What your face expresses, your body feels says a new study presented at a meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in Chicago. Test subjects were hooked up to instruments and instructed to make a face expressing an emotion. When the emotion of fear was expressed on the face, the heart rate increased and the hands cooled. There is some sort of pattern detector in the brain that says this is a fear face and activates a fear psychology, or excuse me, physiology, says psychology professor Robert Levinson of the University of California, Berkeley. 
The same is true, he says, of other emotions. Anger, disgust, and sadness. 55% of how we communicate is our body language. Let, let, me, let me give you some categories. One person talked about symbolic language. This is the way we give our signals with our fingers up, thumbs up. I mean, without even saying anything from your mouth, your words, you've communicated something. Object language. The, the statement we make about ourselves through objects we surround ourselves with, such as the make or model of our car, the labels on our clothes, the toys, the wall decorations, the jewelry, all of those things say something. They communicate to people. Space or distance language. The amount of space or distance we keep around ourselves. Distance determines whether the relationship with the other person will be considered public, social, personal, or intimate. And then there's time language. We send messages through time, whether we're early, punctual, fashionably late, or tardy, in particular situations can reflect respect, ego, lack of respect, or a number of other characteristics. How often when times get really serious and difficult do we sort of begin to add confusing messages when we laugh because we're uncomfortable? Or we laugh at a difficult moment. The tilt of the head just a twist of your neck, the look of your eyes. All of that communicates. And God warns us to be the kind of people that our body language does not belie what's coming from our words. God cares about those areas. So the final aspect of communication I'd like you to think about with me this morning is the area of timing. Go to chapter 25 of Proverbs, would you please? 25, look at verses 11 and 12. 25, 11, and 12. Friends, as you're turning, I want to remind you that there's a number of times that we've said the wrong thing at the wrong time. I mean, it was wrong on both accounts. But I believe it's also possible that we need to remind ourselves that we could say the right thing, but it's at the wrong time. That's very, very possible. Look at 25, verses 11 and 12. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. See, it isn't just the idea of a word spoken, but it's the sense of that word spoken in the right circumstances. And could I say to you at times, you may have a conflict with, with a roommate. There may be a struggle with someone that is dear to you. And maybe you need to go to a, a neutral location as part of the right timing. See, for you to come to my house, you're on my turf. For me to come to your house, to your dorm room, all of a sudden I'm on your turf. For those of you who manage other people, those of you who are part of staff, there may be times where you want to go through some issues and not to where you're sitting behind the desk and somebody else comes in and looks past that long wooden desktop, but you say, hey, let's go out and have a bite to eat somewhere, or let me meet you somewhere. We want to talk about some major issues, because oftentimes that neutral territory can allow for much more freedom 
and openness. Our daughter's 15, our son's 10. Our little guy, I can't tell you how often, there's times when he's playing with his little kids and there's what I would call unacceptable behavior going on. And if I just yell out, Jonathan, will you stop? And I, I get a response. But I can't tell you the difference is when I say, Jonathan, can I talk to you for a second? Come on over here. And he and I get alone away from the can see what's going on. And I talk through what I saw. And the boy's response is, okay, Dad, I understand. Thanks. Yeah, okay. what? And back out he goes. To that right word in the right circumstances. Not just the word. We need to be a people who are very sensitive. There may be timing after certain events that maybe you shouldn't evaluate the moment after that particular opportunity. But you wait a couple months, or you wait if it's an annual event, then you jot down something and you talk about it two months before you begin the planning on how you're going to change the new item. Those of you especially who have had a hairstyle change the last little while. I mean, all of a sudden you, you come home and you're like, you know, how does it look? Versus somebody saying something two days before you go the next time on areas of, li- of how you'd like a change to be made. We're much more sensitive close to, close to the event. And you know what it's like when you're studying for an exam or you're working through a particular project or you're on your way to a particular ministry opportunity. And suddenly somebody captures you or corners you in the hallway and they're on a whole different topic and all of a sudden it's just not the right time. Do you, when you call somebody up and once you've said hello and how you doing, what's taking place, you say, hey, do you have some time to chat for a moment? Or you just start right in and all of a sudden, man, they're waiting and trying to get away and you wonder whether you aren't listening real well or whatever. Because you never really ask, is this an appropriate time? God says to us, look, look back at it, like apples of gold in settings of silver. That idea of a beautiful metallic artistry is a word spoken in right circumstances. See, I love what God tells us in Ecclesiastes, you remember? There's an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Now, I find in our American Western way that we get very nervous about times of silence. Could I challenge you just a little bit to ask, are you spending some time? Because God says there's a time to be silent. And there's a time to speak. How much in a given week, maybe a given day, are there some times of silence within your own life? Or is it every time you hit the car, on goes the radio or CD player? Every, every time you walk into your dorm, on goes something happening. Always got some noise. Always got some stuff taken. God says there's a value in some moments of silence. There's value in, those, value in those times. And I'm saying to us as individuals, there are certain points where, yes, it needs to be said. And yes, it's the right thing to say. But think, is this the right time? Is this really the proper moment? Critical years of understanding. Here's a fun one for you if you haven't seen it before. Proverbs chapter 27. Look with me at verse 14. 27, 14. For those of you who are roommates, whether it's on campus or off campus, here's one maybe you want to somewhere post in case you're an early riser and someone else is a little bit slower in their metabolism. One of my favorites, 2714. The one who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. The Living Bible says it this way. 
The Living Bible says this, If you shout a pleasant greeting to a friend too early in the morning, he or she will count it as a curse. Friends, I am convinced that if God meant us to see the sunrise, he would have made it rise later in the day. Those of you, yeah, right on. <laughs> Those of you who are up really early jogging, hey, be careful to run on God's earth before He turns the lights on, okay? I mean, there's a rhythm, there's a pattern. Those of you who are history majors, I have done an exhaustive study in history, and apart from the resurrection, there is no other monumental historical event that ever took place before noon. Okay? Got that down. Good. I love what, what one person says here. P.S. Did you ever hear the story about the optimist and the pessimist? The, op the optimist goes to the window every morning and says, Good morning, Lord. And the pessimist goes to the window every morning and says, Good Lord, morning. <laughs> so depending upon who you are and your rhythm and your cycle, be careful in the area of timing. Now, friends, I'm impressed when God gives us a model for someone who is serious in their walk with God. Someone that we would categorize as the wise and not the foolish. He portrays a woman. He portrays that godly woman. In Proverbs 31, look at what it says. And when she speaks, her words are wise. May I apply from that? That says to me, she realizes life and death the power of the tongue. She realizes that her words have an emotional as well as a physical impact upon the person she's in dialogue with in that relationship. And kindness is the rule for everything she says. The powerful concepts for us. Let me close just by reading a couple of quotes from a book. Listen to what it says. Our reputation is most often established by the use one makes of the tongue. A person's speech will leave a lasting impression on people. Communication patterns will label our character. It's not easy to cultivate an attractive tongue. Do you remember what James 3 reminds us of? Every kind of beast and bird Reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. This powerful organ, our tongue, and we wind it through our whole communication pattern, can be made beautifully powerful only by bringing it under the control of God, our Creator, the power of God's Spirit. See, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And God wants us to be a people who by His supernatural power are able to bring health to relationships, draw people to us, attract people to Jesus Christ through what we say, rather than kill, separate, and send people away in disgust. This is not to say that your own effort is not needed. God has given you a mind and a will. He expects you to use them. He requires that you assume responsibility over this marvelous instrument He's given you. 
He's revealed a wealth of information and advice on how to use the tongue. Friends, I believe as we close this morning that how we communicate with each other is the most critical ingredient in healthy relationships. And because I applaud you and affirm you as young adults, the staff and a faculty of distinction, we want to take seriously what God has said to us. And see, friends, you have a choice today. You can either be driven by the culture or you can be driven by the values of our Creator. And that directly impacts our words. Would you bow with me for a moment? There might be somebody that you need to go to today to even ask forgiveness, to be honest, in a sense of confession that you said things to them. Maybe the words or your tone or even your body language that's inappropriate. Would you ask God for the courage right now if that needs to be done to do business in that level? Maybe you're one here today who really has a quick, caustic, sharp, biting, cynical tongue. And God's touched your life today through His Word. Would you ask Him to help you to begin patterning by the power of the Spirit communication that brings help and fulfillment to relationships. Lord, remind us in a dramatic way that our words can cause our home, our dorm room, this campus, to be a paradise or a desert. Help us reflect upon the, fact that, uh, upon the fact that our words can draw people to us or send them away in disgust. Our words can make the difference in hiring and firing, promotion or layoff. Our words can heal or kill a ministry. So, Father, by the power of Your Spirit, would You change us? We've sung that You're the Holy God. That means You're absolutely righteous. You're absolutely perfect. And therefore, what You said to us today from Proverbs is the truth. It's reality. And may we be the kind of people who see individuals drawn to Jesus Christ because of our communication that demonstrates you're the Creator, we're all made in your image, and that because of our commitment to Jesus Christ, we want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Father, heal some relationships today. Adjust some areas that are out of focus. 
draw some roommates and some dating relationships back to a sense of purity because of what we say to each other. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.